Hi, I'm Tom Luna. I'm a former school board member. I was privileged to serve as senior advisor to U.S. Secretary of Education, Rod Page. I also had the honor of serving for eight years as Idaho State Superintendent of Public Instruction. During that time, I also served as president of the Council of Chief State School Officers. One thing I have learned in all these experiences is that educating children is not rocket science, it's more complicated. On my podcast, Swimming Upstream, we will visit with courageous leaders who challenge the prevailing tide and inspire all of us to swim against the current. Let's jump in. Welcome to this episode of Swimming Upstream. I'm Tom Luna, your host, and uh, we have a really special guest today, Ellen Weaver. Um, and folks, we are at the Excellence in Ed conference. It's an annual conference that's been going on for 14 years. Governor Bush from Florida has organized this event. You have hundreds, thousands of people from across the country that are here to talk about how we improve education for more kids. And, uh, and so we're going to interview some folks here. And let me start by telling you why we're talking to Ellen Weaver. Ellen was just elected state superintendent of public instruction for the great state of South Carolina. Now, what a lot of people don't know, Ellen, is that, you know, a little over a week ago, people across the country went and voted. And there's been a lot of focus on U.S. senators and congressmen and a number of governor's races. But what a lot of, a lot of people don't understand is that on those, those same ballots last week, there were seven people running for state superintendent in their states. Most states appoint their state superintendent. South Carolina is one of those 12 states that actually elects state superintendents. Right. So congratulations. Thank you. On your, on your victory. Thank you. And you know, I always remember, Ellen, it was about a year ago that you and I were visiting at this conference, at conference. and you talked to me about your plans to go home and run for state superintendent. Yep. And here we are. Here we are. Congratulations. Amazing, amazing journey. And this is really one of the most important things that I could have run for in South Carolina. Yeah. I mean, you're working on over our, almost half of the state budget is 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 wrapped up in K-12 education. But as you and I both know, this is far more than a dollars and cents issue. This is about the hearts and minds of children, yeah. about the future of my state, the future of our country, yeah. our shared journey as Americans. And so I can't imagine a more important or a more exciting time to be engaged in this education work. Yeah, perfect. I would tell people similar to what you said, it's still true today that uh, the children may be 20% of our population. Their education takes up about 50% of our budget, but they are 100% of our future, right? Yep, and so absolutely. that's what we focus on. Absolutely. So a little bit about you. I, I did a little bit of research. You're born and raised in South Carolina, educated there, but for a, a portion of your uh, uh, education was homeschooled. That's right. How does that influence you now as you go in to be responsible for public education and really the education of all the children in South Carolina? Well, education in my own life has been the front door of the American dream. I grew up in a lower middle income household. My dad owned a small construction company. And so it was either feast or famine. But my parents always sacrificed to make sure that I had the education I needed in the environment that I needed it. And so I went to a small Christian school. I was homeschooled. And then I graduated from a great public school. So I truly have experienced 
used yeah. a gamut of education choice in my life. And so that makes me particularly passionate for every child in South Carolina to have that opportunity for every parent to feel like they have the power to make those decisions that they need to make about what is best for their child. We heard Governor Bush speak this morning just about nobody is better positioned to love that child and make a good decision for them than their parents. So. And, and, and a system that he, to paraphrase uh, Governor Bush, but a, a system that prioritizes what's the best interest of the child and yes. the student, not yes. necessarily what's most comfortable for the adults in the bureaucracy, right? Yeah. And it, it's a constant, constant uh, pushback. Let, let's do a little bit deeper dive. You've been elected. Mm -hmm. I, I've been there. I, I, you know, I was elected state superintendent in Idaho for two terms. Uh, but you go from election night excitement. I don't know about you, but I woke up the next morning. I was like, okay, now I've got a lead, right? So there's this transition that happens. Uh, but let's talk about that. You, 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 you made your case to the uh, folks of South Carolina. <laughs> they, endor they endorsed you and supported you with their votes. Yeah. But how do you prepare for that first day in office? Gosh, I think a lot of it uh, is happening right now at this conference. It's a, a reset of mental focus and clarity. I think leaders have to be crystal clear about their purpose. And then you have to convey and articulate and communicate that purpose over and over and over again, because that's how you create alignment within the department. That is how you create alignment within the districts that you'll be working with, as well as build support for your agenda in the public. Yeah. And so my number one focus, my North Star will always be what is best for children. And as I look at what the challenges are ahead of us in South Carolina, I mean, we unfortunately have been bumping along near or at the bottom in reading and, and math for, for decades now. And, and it's no fault of the wonderful teachers that we have in our schools who are, who are giving their heart and soul to teach these kids. It's that we have an equipment them in many cases with the tools that they need to be successful. Yeah. Early literacy is something that you keep hearing over and over again at this conference, and that's going to be my number one priority as yeah. state superintendent. That's that's perfect. You, you've talked about early literacy, and let's do a little bit deeper dive. You, you also mentioned the importance of teachers. We know the research is out there. I'm a, I'm a huge Bob Marzano fan, yeah. right? His research has shown over and over over decades of research that the most important factor when a child enters the classroom is the quality of the teacher in the That's classroom. Right. So the support that we provide them, talk about that. And then, and then we want to spend some time talking about your passion for literacy and how important that is. Yeah, absolutely. So I really think that with everything in life, leadership is essential. So whether we're talking about leadership at the state department level, at the district level, or especially that leadership at the building level, when I think about the way that we support great teachers, it's by developing and supporting great principals, first of all, because they are helping to build the culture that will retain that teacher, that that teacher wants to go to work in every day. But then in terms of literacy, it's really about giving these teachers the building blocks they need around the proven science of reading. Unfortunately, in too many cases, our colleges of higher education have not equipped our teachers um, around the reading strategies that we know work. And, and I heard uh, Kareem Weaver here last night say that this reading is the civil rights issue of our time. And you are right. You cannot navigate this system called America if you are not equipped with basic literacy. 
we know the consequences if a child is not reading at grade level by the end of third grade. Right. Seven out of eight of them will never catch up regardless of our best efforts and so yeah. how critical that is. What are some of the specific strategies that you see um, uh, in, in your state when it comes to like K-3 literacy? Is there is, 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 is teacher support? professional development, what kind of tools and, and strategies in the classroom? And then how do you how do you make sure, you know, we live in an era where people rightfully are questioning the value of assessments because it seems like if we have assessments, if people don't see what the value is, then why do we do it? Right. But they are important. Yeah. So anyways, when you talk about literacy at K-3, professional development for teachers, what kinds of tools do we use to assure that students are uh, progressing? So we don't find out at the end of third grade when it's really too late to to intervene. That's right. Well, you know, the formative assessments that many of our districts are using are so important because it makes data actionable. What we often hear is a lot of time with some of the summative assessments, teachers aren't getting feedback in real time about how they need to reteach something or improve their instruction. And so I think that that ongoing formative assessment is so important as we look about what a testing paradigm in the future uh, can look like in a way that is meaningful to both teachers, students, and parents. Um, but in terms of how we support teachers in this area of literacy in South Carolina, you know, we had a, a reading law that passed back in 2014 called Read to Succeed. And I think a lot of the policy pillars uh, that we know have worked in Florida and Mississippi and other states are there in that law. But I'm not confident that we have supported that law with the level and quality of professional development for the teacher, because you can pass all the laws in the world. Yeah. But if you don't actually equip the teacher, with the high quality professional yeah. development they need, with the curriculum and resources that they need, it doesn't really matter. It's just words on a paper. We, we in Idaho, in the farming term, we call that getting the water to the end of the row. Yes, right. Uh, and 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 how uh, you know you pass laws, you can even create a lot of enthusiasm and excitement. But how are you going to get that water to the end of the row so that every classroom, every child benefits from it. So you mentioned the pillars of the law that was passed in 2014. What are a couple of those that 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 uh, that are foundational in a good early literacy program? Well, you know, of course, it's a strong focus on, on phonics. We yeah. know that that's around the science of reading. And so we've heard a lot um, this week about this idea of three queuing and how states like Arkansas and Louisiana have moved to eliminate that practice in their reading programs where essentially you're teaching children strategies to guess as opposed to actually helping so eliminating them. the three cues. Exactly. Eliminate yes. those three cue approaches and actually teaching children the phonemic awareness they need to sound out words. I mean, that's how I learned how to yes. read. And I have loved reading. Reading has opened up vistas of opportunity to me in my lifetime. It's the only reason why I'm sitting in this chair today. And so I want that same ability for every child in our state. Yeah. Um, but that, that phonemic awareness is really, really critical. Um, there's a lot of controversy around the retention piece of many of these literacy laws. But I truly believe that the most unkind thing we could do to a child is pass them along unthinkingly and unprepared for the next level, where they just continue to fall further and further behind. Yeah. So there are a lot of important pieces to this law. But I really think that that teacher professional development and support is the most important piece. You know, we had kind of... You're, you're You've alluded to this. We had kind of a learning moment, or at least I did when I was in office. We created an, a number of incredible programs for high school kids. 
career paths. Mm-hmm. Uh, every student, every high school kid in Idaho has access to $4,200 to pay for dual credit and AP courses and that kind of stuff. But what we didn't realize is the pool of eighth graders that wanted to and were prepared to take care of those high school or to take advantage of those high school opportunities, that pool was limited. It wasn't growing because we weren't making sure that by the time at the end of third grade that they they were, you know, reading at grade level at sixth grade, they were at the right level in math. And so we realized we can create all these programs in high school. But if you're not preparing those kids at the younger age, they're they're not going to be able to take advantage of those uh, type of high school uh, opportunities you're trying to. Create. That's exactly right, and we have such wonderful opportunities at that that ninth through twelve um, grade level, but. We have to get to the root of the problem. We have to work with the children who are already in the system who are behind and need help and remediation, whether that's intensive in-school tutoring. I mean, there are many things that we can do to help catch them up, but we've got to start back at the very beginning for these babies who are just starting at the beginning of their education journey and ensuring that we are equipping them to be ready for those great opportunities that we want to create for them in high school. So you've talked about rethinking high school. Talk, let's talk about that. Yeah, I mean, it's 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 just so absolutely critical. We have got to we have got to transform our learning experience into something that means something in the real world. I think too many children in South Carolina and really elsewhere in the country graduate with a diploma that is a piece of paper that unfortunately doesn't signify that they're ready to enter the workforce of the future that we know is coming. Yeah. And so whether we are looking at AI opportunities, whether we are looking at what you were talking about, many of the dual enrollment opportunities that we have for for high school students to basically graduate with a two-year certification along with a high school degree and be ready to go into the workforce. I mean, in my own family, I've seen it firsthand. So my path to success was a four-year college degree. My sister's path was also a four-year college degree. My brother went into the military, got a GED, and he now makes more money than my sister and I. So I'm so proud of him. And we have got to celebrate those different learning styles, those different skills, those different pathways to success and make sure that every single student is prepared for the way that they can best meet their God-given potential. I think in many cases, we we graduate a lot of uh, uh, students that are well-educated, but not well-prepared. Yes. Right. And one thing I realized in my my wife and I have six children, but I realized it with them and then as, as state superintendent that students, especially in high school, they have to see relevance to what they're learning. If students see relevance to what they're learning, rigor will take care of itself. But if they don't see relevance, they're going to do the minimum. And my my youngest son, if he thought that a high school diploma was the ticket to go to college, which was the ticket then to sit behind a desk and wear a suit like his dad, he's like, I don't want no part of this. Uh But when when he got involved in arts and creating and music, and and found something in high school that really uh, captured his attention. That was a changing moment for him. And he's not unique, right? So yeah, that's how do right. we create those opportunities and give those students well, those chances? I really think that that's also an important piece of community engagement, right? We need people in our schools who are providing role models to our students of what different pathways can look like, right? Um, I think for too long, we have asked our educators to be everything to everyone and to do everything. And I think if there's one thing that we have learned in COVID, it's that it's going to take all of us engaging with our students in our schools if we are going to show them those pathways to success and how they can also follow them. Yeah. So let's talk uh, uh, about COVID. One of the consequences of COVID 
was uh, made very apparent in the latest NAEP results, right? And every state across the country, their eyes hopefully were open to the fact that in, in, in many cases, decades of learning advancement has been lost. I don't, we could spend time talking about why and, but let's just talk about, we know where we're at now. We know that we've got a whole generation whose future is at risk. What are some of your thoughts when you look at South Carolina students? You know that there's ground that needs to be made up. This has to be accelerated learning. It can't take us 30 years to regain what we lost or in 2050, we're going to be where we were in 2019. That's right. So, yeah, the, I, I think of this in terms of the fierce urgency of now. Um, we can't be complacent. We don't have time to waste. I mean, these are literally children's lives and futures that are on the line. I mean, you know, I heard that 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 the earnings of students, the lifetime earnings down. I can't remember what Eric Hanischek, Hanischek said, but like six percent or something like that over the course of their entire life. I mean, like this has wow. real, real world implications. That's it's not real. just when you start yeah. talking about what their yeah. what their life looks like as adults and on. That's into exactly right. This isn't just some kind of abstract test score that's a moment yeah. in time, right? And so and so we've got to dramatically, I think, simplify our approach. We have made education a very complex and complicated, unnecessarily so endeavor, I think in many cases. We've got to get back to a focus on the basics, those literacy skills, and then of course math. We saw our students nationwide and in South Carolina mm-hmm. lost more ground in math even than they did in literacy. Yeah. And so getting back to those basic numeracy skills, there's some amazing things that are happening with innovators like Saul Khan, um, yes. who yes. are coming up with ideas for how we can provide free resources to support parents and students in their learning and teachers. So anyway, there's a lot of innovation out there, but this moment is going to require a laser focus. It's going to require a sense of urgency and it's going to require innovation and new ways of thinking. Excited to learn more. Yeah, uh, me too. We, 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 it won't be another year before we sit down and visit. Not at all. Uh, but let's talk about, what, real quick, what, what does it look like a year from now for uh, you as state superintendent and uh, where South Carolina is at? Well, I hope a year from now we will have made incredible progress in cutting some red tape for teachers. That is one thing I've heard over and over and over Perfect. again is that we have just so many programs that are on the books that just don't need to be there anymore. So I want to I want to clean that up and give them some more time to focus on what they care about, which is teaching their students. I want to do a deep dive into our um, literacy efforts and make sure that we are aligned with what we know is the science of reading and that we are then getting that professional development to the teachers on the front lines who need it. And then we also have started some really exciting work in South Carolina around reforming our funding formula um, to be a truly student-centered funding model. I think that's ultimately... So like, like what Tennessee recently exactly, did in other exactly, states. Exactly, exactly. So we have begun that journey. We need to finish it. Um, and I'm personally very excited, too, about the idea that choices for parents and students continue to grow in our state. So we are on the cusp of passing an ESA bill. We have a great open enrollment bill that I know will be a hot topic. Our charter schools are growing. So we have we have so much opportunity on the horizon. And I'm, the foundation I'm is in place. Yes, the foundation. Right. So place. it's about leadership. It's in part right. leadership. And Jeb kind of talked about uh, earlier today, he talked about leadership and uh, some of the things he learned from that, right? Where, you know, uh, maybe uh, moving too fast, get something done, but 
maybe there's a lot uh, of collateral damage. Yeah, a little bit of collateral yeah, damage. Yeah. Okay, so th I want to thank you for your time. My pleasure. Really excited about the opportunity that you have to serve the students in, in, in South Carolina and really to help empower the teachers and the parents and all those factors that are critical in a child's education. But one, one last question. Share with us one thing about South Carolina, a fun fact or an interesting fact that most people don't know about South Carolina. Well, I'm going to give you two, one okay. history and one agriculture. Right. So in history, uh, the American Revolution may have started in New England, but it was actually won in South Carolina. Um, when those ornery people in the back country of South Carolina, where I'm from, got their dander up. But the, the, the accent's coming up when you start <laughs> yeah, talking about the... There you yeah, go. That's okay. exactly yeah. right. Yeah. Um, you know, the Battle of Kings Mountain was absolutely critical. And so um, South Carolina played a very historied and proud part in winning our freedom as Americans. And we're Wonderful. very, very proud of that as South Carolinians. But the agricultural fact is that we actually grow more peaches in South Carolina than they do in Georgia. Uh -oh. But we were already yeah. the Palmetto State. So we said they can be the peach state. That's All fine. Right. Our peaches are better. So well, when, when we have Johnny Keyes, the state superintendendent in Arkansas on, I'll ask him about this thing between South Carolina and Georgia when it comes to uh, uh, the peaches and that stuff. But uh, anyways, it's great visiting with you and good luck. And uh, we, we're excited about learning more about South Carolina. Thank you. I appreciate it, Tom. Folks, we've had Ellen Weaver, the newly elected state superintendent of public instruction for South Carolina as our guest here on Swimming Upstream. And she's an example of somebody who's willing to step forward and swim against the current. Thanks, Ellen. My pleasure. Thank you for listening. And remember, our children may only be 22% of our population, but they represent 100% of our future. If you found this conversation valuable, subscribe to our YouTube channel and find us on your favorite podcast platform. Swimming Upstream is part of the Stratagos Podcast Network. To view the entire lineup of our shows, visit our website, stratagosgroup.com.